الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله while the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whomever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. And I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners, and I bear witness that Muhammad wasallam is His slave servant and His messenger. In this, uh, the 11th in our series of lectures concerning fiqh al-hadith or the fiqh, that uh, understanding which is derived from the hadith of the Prophet wasallam, his sayings and his actions and approvals, uh, <coughs> we would like to begin to discuss the topic of al-ghusl, al-ghusl, taking uh, a complete or total bath when one is in a state of major impurity. But before beginning the hadith for this evening concerning Al-Ghusl, we would like to quickly review the hadith which we took in lecture number 10. Uh, I think there were five hadith. The first hadith is hadith number 23, which is reported on the authority of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. He said that I was a man who experienced uh, excessive or continuous emission of prosthetic fluid. So I was shy to ask the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about this matter due to the uh, fact that yani, due to the place of his daughter from me, yani, that his daughter was my wife. So I asked Al-Miqdad ibn Al-Aswad radiallahu anhu, then he asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to him, Wash the penis or the private part and then and make wudu. Wash the private part and make wudu. And in the narration of Al-Bukhari, uh, which is similar, the wording is slightly different but the meaning the same. Instead of يَغْفِلُوا ذَكَرَهُ He said اِغْفِلْ ذَكَرَهُ يعني the command form. Wash the private part and make wudu. And in the narration of Muslim, he said uh, make wudu and then sprinkle some water over the private parts. From this hadith, the Shaykh uh, Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn Salih Ali Bassam in his book Taysir al-Alam Sharh Umdut al-Ahkam he says concerning this hadith that there are five points which we derive from it. The first of them is that al-Mazi or prosthetic fluid is a form of najasa, yani it is something unclean or it is an impurity and that it is obligatory to wash it. It is obligatory to wash it. <coughs> Secondly, he said that it is one of those things which nullify a person's ablution or wudu because it is one of those things which comes from the two openings, the front or the back. 
Number three, he said that it is also obligatory to wash the private part after the emission of prosthetic fluid. Number four, that it is not obligatory to wash the bottle, body, that is to take a ghusl like the one who takes a ghusl from al-janaba or major sexual or major impurity. And this point here, there is ijma or consensus on this fact that it is not obligatory to wash the whole body after the emission of prosthetic fluid. And finally he says from this hadith we also derive the fact that it is sufficient uh, I mean that it is not sufficient uh, after the emission of al-mazi or prosthetic fluid it is not sufficient to make al-istijmar with stones and it is not permissible uh, just to wash the private part by using some solid object such as stones or otherwise but it is necessary to use water in the washing of the private parts after the emission of prosthetic fluid. The next hadith, hadith number 24 is concerning uh, the case the, the nullifier of wudu by the passing of wind and it is reported on the authority of Abdad ibn Tamim and Abdullah ibn Zayd ibn Asim al-Mazani radiallahu anhu he said that a man complained to the Prophet وسلم, that he had a feeling or was imagining uh, that something was happening inside of his body يعني, while he was in the prayer referring to the idea that perhaps he had passed wind but he was uncertain the Prophet وسلم, told him do not leave the prayer when this occurs, يعني, in the occasion when a person is not sure, they have a feeling, a rumbling or grumbling or movement in their stomach, they should not leave the prayer until they hear a sound or they find uh, يعني, the smell of the passing of wind. Uh, from this hadith, the Shaykh mentioned five points. The first of them, the general rule, the general principle, al-qa'ida, al-'ama. That is, that a thing remains in its original state as long as nothing changes it. And that means that a person who knows that they are they're in a state of purification, in a state of Sahara, then they remain in the state of Sahara uh, as long as they don't have any definite or certain indication that their Sahara has been nullified or violated. The second point, that simple doubt concerning one's nullification of purification the doubt of such the person is not sure uh, this doubt is not sufficient and it does not invalidate one's ablution and wudu nor does it invalidate the salat number three he said from this hadith we derive the prohibition of leaving from the prayer except for a clear reason yani a known fact that someone state of purification has been nullified. Number four, that the wind or gas that comes out from the body of a person from the back, uh, if there is a sound or if there is no sound, it is a nullifier of wudu, even if there is no sound. And what is meant in this hadith, the last point that he mentions, which is related to the fourth point, 
What is meant in this hadith that you shouldn't leave until you hear a sound or you find uh, you smell the gas or, or wind? What is meant is that the person should not leave the prayer until they are certain that they have nullified their wudu. And these are the most common ways to be certain. If you hear the sound or you smell something, then you are certain that you have invalidated your wudu. In any case, even if you don't hear or smell anything, if you are sure that you have invalidated the wudu, then uh, you should leave the prayer and remove your state of purification by performing ablution. Uh, hadith number 26 concerning how to purify the earth upon which urine has befallen. The hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, he said that a, a Bedouin man came and he urinated in a corner of the masjid. The people became very upset, screaming at him, and the Prophet وسلم, prohibited them. So when that man finished urinating, the Prophet وسلم, ordered that a bucket full of water should be poured over that place where the man had urinated. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions a number of points. He says, we derive from this hadith uh, that the earth where urine has been spilled is cleaned or is purified simply by pouring water over it. And there is no condition or necessity to remove that earth before pouring the water or after. Secondly, we understand from this hadith the importance of respecting and holding in high, high regard the places of worship, the masajid, and keeping those places clean. Three, we derive from this hadith the lofty character, the noble character of the Prophet As he guided the people, or he guided that Bedouin man with easiness and kindness after he had urinated in the masjid, which was a very uh, terrible thing to do, but the Prophet ﷺ knew that it was an act of ignorance, so he was kind and easy with him in guiding him, and that led the man, as we mentioned last week, to pray for the Prophet ﷺ himself, and to leave out all people, other people, when he said, Allahumma arhamni wa muhammadan wa la tarham ma'ana ahadan. Oh Allah have mercy on Muhammad, on me and Muhammad, and don't have mercy on anyone else along with us. And this was reported in the authentic hadith by Al-Bukhari. Number four, <coughs> this hadith also indicates the far-sightedness of the Prophet ﷺ and his knowledge of the constitution or the disposition or the nature of people. He understood the people very well and knew how to deal with them. And this is a great lesson for us, especially when we are involved in da'wah, da'wah of non-Muslims trying to call into Islam, or da'wah of the Muslims trying to bring them back to the correct Islam, that we should uh, look ahead and be far-sighted and try to understand the nature of the people in order to deal with them in the best way to have the result of our da'wah bring, you know, that it should bear fruit. And also there is a principle that is derived from this hadith, a qa'idah, a great important principle or foundation that when there are two evils or harmful things that a person has a choice between one or the other of them then he should take or she should take the lesser of them as the Prophet ﷺ did in this occasion he had the choice either to stop that man from urinating uh, which would have brought about a worse result 
or to allow him to finish, and that was the lesser of the two evils. Also from this hadith, we understand uh, that people being far away from the cities, living out in the desert, this is a cause of harshness and ignorance. And finally he said, from this hadith we derive uh, the important lesson of using uh, ease and kindness in teaching those who might be ignorant or not having the proper knowledge. The last hadith, the hadith concerning uh, the things of Al-Fitrah, the things which are very close to nature that was brought by all the prophets of the previous nations even before the final revelation of the Qur'an to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the last of the messengers. On the authority of Abu Hurairah anhu, he said that I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam saying that the things of fitra they are five. Al-Khitan, that is circumcision. Al-Istihdad, shaving the pubic hairs from around the private parts. Qasr, al-Sharib, trimming the mustache, trimming it, keeping it closely trimmed. Ta'leem, al-Azafir, clipping the fingernails. Nafs, al-Ibqi, and removing the hairs from under the arms. Then uh, from this hadith, the Shaykh also mentioned a number of points. First of them, uh, that the fitra which Allah has created the human beings upon, it calls to every kind of good. And it uh, pushes away every kind of evil. This is the fitra upon which the human being is created. The fitra of Allah that He has created the human beings upon. Also that these five noble characteristics which are mentioned in this hadith are those things uh, which Allah loves and which Allah has commanded us with. Also that the deen of Islam has come bringing al-nawafa, cleanliness, al-jamal, beautification and al-kamal, perfection in whatever we do. And also that it is legislated in Islam that a person should adhere to these things, these five things, as well as the other things of Al-Fitra, regularly and not allow them to go unattended to for long periods of time. And here also the Shaykh said, we understand that the number five which is mentioned in this hadith doesn't mean that they are limited to five, uh, but in fact um, there are many other things and the Prophet mentioned them on other occasions. Number six, he said that Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him, said that there are many benefits which are derived from these five special noble characteristics that Islam has called us to, religious benefits as well as worldly benefits. And from amongst them is beautification of a person's features or the outward appearance, cleanliness of the body, an ihtiyat al-tahara, always taking precautions to keep one clean and to avoid any circumstance in which a person might lose their state of Sahara. Uh, and also being in contradiction or in opposition and opposed to those things which are known to be the symbols or the ways or the characteristics of the disbelievers. And finally, uh, Ibn Hajj al-Asqalani mentions intifal amr al that we should always fulfill the commands of the legislator, that is the commands of Allah 
subhanahu wa ta'ala and that which came through his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and finally he mentioned that those things which we find the young people doing today having long nails and leaving the mustache to grow long uh, these are things which are prohibited, prohibited by the Islamic law and they are also things that are considered to be very unacceptable or ugly or distasteful uh, so this is basically a summary of the hadith that we covered in the last lecture uh, and finally I just want to mention uh, there was a question last week I don't remember the, the wording of the question but it was concerning the issue of the washing of the urine from the small child did I skip this hadith? Hmm? in any case uh, the question that came it was mentioned is there any proof from the sunnah for the opinion that we stated as being the most correct opinion of the three opinions of the scholars it was said that some scholars said that it is sufficient just to sprinkle water over the urine of the male or female child and some said that it's not sufficient either for the male nor for the female child just to sprinkle water but in fact it is uh, necessary that uh, both of them should be washed the urine of the male as well as the female child and the third opinion was that which is based on the hadith uh, Imam Nawawi said this is the opinion based on the most authentic evidences that is that the uh, cleaning of the urine from the male child who is suckling who is not eating normal food but suckling from the mother's breast it is simply uh, sufficient to sprinkle water over it and for the female child it is necessary to wash it the Shaykh in his discussion of this hadith didn't mention uh, any clear hadith but he mentioned the hadith of the woman who came to the Prophet ﷺ with a small child who was breastfeeding and the Prophet ﷺ took that child in his arms and the child urinated on him uh, he simply called for some water and sprinkled water over the place where the urine uh, touched his clothing and uh, now I just want to quickly mention some of the hadith would show that the correct opinion in this matter is that the sprinkling is sufficient for the male child but for the female child it is necessary to wash the area where the urine has been spilled and the first hadith uh, is mentioned in the commentary of Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani in his explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari uh, concerning uh, this, uh, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha she said that um, a, a small child was brought to the Prophet ﷺ and he urinated on the, on the clothing of the Prophet the Prophet ﷺ called for water and he poured water over the place where that urine had touched his clothing under this hadith Al-Hakir ibn Hajjah mentions the chapter concerning the urine of, of young children and the issue about which there is difference of opinion is the sprinkling of water over the urine of the male child similar to the cleaning of the urine of a female child or is there a difference and he says that there are a number of hadith which did not meet the conditions of Imam Bukhari for his Sahih so he didn't report them in Sahih al-Bukhari although those hadith were not meaning the high condition of al-Bukhari but they were still authentic hadith which other collectors of hadith are reported and they showed that their isnads or the chains of narratives were authentic the first of them is the hadith of Ali radiallahu anhu which is reported from the Prophet sallallahu concerning the urine of the child which is the male child which is suckling 
that the urine of the male child simply requires sprinkling water over it and the urine of the female child requires washing ghusl this hadith is reported by Imam Ahmed in his Musnad and also the, in the books of Sunan that is the Sunan of Abu Dawood, At-Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah the second hadith and he said that this hadith the isnad of it is Sahih Al-Hafid ibn Hajjah says the isnad is Sahih also the hadith of Lubaba bint Al-Harith radiallahu anha which has been attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam innama yugsal min bawl al-untha wa yundah min bawl al-zakr that verily the urine of the female requires washing and the urine of the male requires sprinkling of water this hadith is also reported by Imam Ahmed and Ibn Majah and it was declared to be Sahih by Ibn Khuzayma and others uh, and then he mentions finally the hadith of Abi Samh which is similar in wording to the previous hadith except for the male child who said Yurush, Yurush or Yurush that means sprinkling of water over the urine of the male child and that's reported by Abu Dawood and Nasa'i and Ibn Khuzayma also said that it was Sahih so that's what we wanted to say from the previous uh, lectures and for tonight's lecture inshallah we'll begin with the chapter of al-ghusl bath al-ghusl min al-janabah taking a bath a complete total bath from being in the state of al-janabah major sexual impurity or major sexual defilement or whatever uh, the shaykh he says that ghusl is the word that is used to describe uh, uh, the act that someone does when they take a complete bath and it requires that the person uh, should pour water over the whole of their body and then he goes on to discuss al-janaba and the meaning of al-janaba that it means al-burr because the semen or the seminal emission uh, that comes from the person when they have sexual relations leaves their body and becomes far away from their body so this, the meaning of janaba it means al-burr or being far away uh, then uh, there are some more comments but because of the time inshallah let us get directly to the hadith the first hadith in this section of al-ghusl is hadith number 28 the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu this hadith is reported in Sahih Muslim the first volume and inshallah all of these hadith is in the first volume of Muslim or Bukhari in Sahih Muslim volume 1 page 203 Hadith number 722 And it is reported in Al-Bukhari also in the first volume uh, Hadith number 283 Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu reported And the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Lakiyahu fi ba'ad turuk al-Madina Wa huwa junub That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Met him in one of the streets of Medina While he, Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu was in a state of junub yani he was sexually defiled Qala minhu He said then I slipped away from him When I met the Prophet I slipped away from him فَذَهَبْتُ فَذْتَسَلْتُ ثُمَّ جِئْتُ I slipped away from him and I went and took a bath a total bath and then I came to him فَقَالَ That is the Messenger of Allah said to him then أَيْنَ كُنْتَ يَا أَبَا حَرِيرًا Where have you been Abu Hurairah? Where did you go? How did you slip away from me? And why? 
Abu Hurairah said, Kuntu junuban, fakarihtu an ujalisaka wa ana ala ghayr taharatim. He said that I was in a state of major sexual defilement and I disliked that I should sit in your company while I was in any state other than a state of purification. I didn't like to sit with you in that condition. Faqal, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Subhanallah, inna al-mu'min la yanjus aw la yanjasu. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam declared these words, Subhanallah, which means it is a declaration or acknowledgement of the perfection of Allah and that He is free from all defects. He said, Verily, the believer does never become defiled or impure. The believer is never considered to be defiled or impure. Meaning, because of his iman and faith in Allah, as a person, as a human being, the human being, the believer, is not impure. Even if some impurity gets on his body, that's another matter. But the meaning here that the Prophet wants to express is that there is no need for you to run away because your body is in a state of major impurity. And you may sit with people and you may touch someone, you may shake hands, there is no harm in such. The believer is not impure. Uh, here the Shaykh mentions the general meaning of this hadith. He said that Abu Hurairah met with the Prophet in one of the streets of al Madinah, And it happened that he was in a state of major sexual impurity. And due to his great respect for the Prophet and honoring the Prophet, he disliked to sit with him or to talk to him when he was in that condition. So he slipped away secretly from the Prophet went into the ghusl and then came back to him. The Prophet asked him, where had you been? So he informed him of his condition and that he disliked sitting with him other than in a state of purification. The Prophet expressed amazement as such and he, uh, yeah, and he has the fact that the Prophet وسلم, uh, that Abu Hurairah um, considered that his condition as such didn't allow him uh, to sit with the Prophet وسلم, and for that reason he went to make a ghusl and he informed him, that is the Prophet وسلم, informed Abu Hurairah that the believer never becomes impure or defiled no matter what their condition physically, no matter what their physical condition the spirit, spiritual condition of the uh, mu'min, of the believer, uh, is, it remains, the, I mean, that he is in a, in a state of purity. Uh, from this hadith, the shaykh mentions five points. The first of them is that al-janaba, the, I mean, the state of major, major impurity, or major sexual impurity, this state of janaba, uh, it is not a form of physical impurity, yani the state of the human being, the state of the body, when you are in a state of janaba from having sexual relations, doesn't mean that the body itself cannot be touched. It's not like urine or feces or some unclean or impure matter. The body doesn't become itself an impure matter. It is a state, a spiritual state of impurity that the person is in from having sexual relations that requires them to take a ghusl. So that this state of major defilement, it, it, it doesn't cause the body itself to become something unclean that cannot be touched. And the second point is that the human being, his inner being, doesn't become defiled because of some physical action. Yeah, I mean, 
the inner being, the self, the soul, whether he is dead or alive, it doesn't become impure because of something physical. And that doesn't mean that if some impurity such as urine gets on your body, it doesn't mean that that impurity doesn't affect the body. It affects the spot that it touches. But it doesn't make the whole body an impure uh, substance that can't be touched. If urine, for example, got on one's foot, it doesn't mean that you can't shake someone's hand. Your hand does not become nejis, so that you cannot touch anyone. But only that spot that is touched by the impurity becomes uh, impure. Number three, from this hadith we understand the permissibility of delaying the ghusl from janaba. Yani if someone became in a state of janaba, it's permissible to delay the performance of ghusl to a later time. As Abu Hurairah was not criticized by the Prophet for being in a state of janaba. He was in a state of janaba and he was walking through the streets. He didn't immediately take a ghusl but he went out for some affair or some matter and he found himself uh, coming in contact with the Prophet while he was in that condition. So from this hadith we understand that it is permissible to delay the performance of ghusl or, to, or the taking of a bath for the person who is in a state of janaba. Also from this hadith we understand the, uh, uh, that a person should have respect and consider highly the people of virtue and good character and knowledge. The people of virtue and the people of good character and the people of knowledge should be respected and looked up to as Abu Hurairah who looked up to the Prophet And also that sitting with the people of virtue and knowledge uh, in that the person should be in their best physical condition. Yani having a bath, being clean, wearing clean clothing. If you go to sit in the circles of the scholars, you shouldn't go in dirty clothing and your body being in an unclean state. But a person should be in their best physical condition and appearance when they go uh, amongst the people of virtue and character and knowledge, scholars or otherwise. And finally, uh, from this hadith, we understand a very important point. It is that it is legislated in Islam that the follower should seek permission from the leader when they want to leave from their presence and this is a part of good character. As Abu Hurairah uh, was criticized by the Prophet وسلم, for slipping away from him without asking permission. And when he returned, the Prophet وسلم, in his own kind way scolded him. Where have you been Abu Hurairah? Why did you just go away without asking permission? The next hadith, hadith number 29, is reported in Al-Bukhari in volume 1, hadith number 273 or 272 272 now and the end of this hadith that the Shaykh mentions here as, as the end of this hadith actually is mentioned as another hadith in Bukhari volume 1, hadith number 273 then hadith number 272 and 273 should be looked at also in Sahih Muslim volume 1, page 182, hadith number 618, as well as hadith number 616. This hadith is reported from Aisha radiallahu anha, 
she said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا اغتسل من الجنابة غسل يديه Now here we go to the description of the ghusl of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that whenever the Messenger of Allah وسلم, used to take a ghusl from Janaba, from the state of major sexual impurity, يديه, he used to wash his two hands. Then he used to make wudu, the wudu that is necessary for the performance of salat. The wudu that one makes for salat, he used to make that wudu. بيديه شعره حتى إذا ظن أنه قد أروى بشرته أفاض عليه الماء ثلاث مرات Then he used to rub his fingers into his hair Rub his fingers, wet his wet hand in his hair He used to rub his hair Rubbing his scalp until he was relatively certain that he had reached the scalp or the root of his hairs then he used to pour three handfuls of water over his head. Then he used to wash the remaining part of his body. And the last part of this hadith, which is actually reported in Bukhari as another hadith, 273. يعني عائشة رضي الله عنها said كنت أغتسل أنا ورسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من إناء واحد يغترس منه جميعا أو نغترس منه جميعا عائشة رضي الله عنها she said that I and the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم used to take a ghusl we used to take a bath from one container from the very same container at the same time, both of us scooping up water from that container, taking a bath together. Uh, before going to the, or maybe we should first mention the general meaning of this hadith, the Shaykh, Hafizullah, uh, he says, Aisha in this hadith, radiallahu anha, the ghusl or the process of performing a bath as it was done by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that whenever he wanted to take a ghusl from Janaba, he used to first wash his hands so that those hands would be clean before he put them into the container that he was taking the water from to make a ghusl not like we are doing now today with the shower but they didn't have shut they used to take a container and scoop the water from the container so he used to make sure he used to wash his hands first before sticking them in the container then he used to make wudu like the wudu that one performs for salat and due to the fact that the Prophet ﷺ had a lot of hair he used to rub his fingers through his hair uh, first after wetting his hands trying to reach his scalp then when he was certain that he had reached his scalp or relatively certain that he had reached his scalp then he uh, poured water over his head three times and then he washed the remainder of his that he didn't wash in wudu. Uh, and finally, the Shaykh says, and even though they performed a complete wudu, a complete ghusl, not just the ghusl of pouring water over oneself, but a complete ghusl, even though in spite of that it was sufficient for the Prophet and Aisha to make ghusl from one container, both of them 
uh, scooping water from that container at the same time. And then some of the later hadith we will see that they used to make a ghusl, the Prophet ﷺ used to make a ghusl from one sa'a, one sa'a, a small uh, amount of water that we will discuss in detail when we reach it. From this hadith, the Shaykh says that number one, we derive from this hadith that it is legislated that one should take a ghusl from Janabah. When a, when a person is in a state of a major sexual impurity, then they should or they are required to take a ghusl. Even if that person is in a state of Janabah, from simply having sexual relations with their spouse, even if there was no emission from that relationship, the entry of the male sex organ to the female sex organ is sufficient even if there is no emission, no ejaculation. It is sufficient from this alone that a person is considered to be in a state of Janaba and they have to take a ghusl from it. And this we will discuss in more detail when we reach the hadith, um, I think hadith number 34, where this is mentioned specifically uh, in the hadith of Abu Hurairah. Secondly, that the complete ghusl that is mentioned in this hadith uh, requires that a person should first wash their hands before sticking their hands in the container then they should make wudu then they should rub their fingers in their hair to their scalps until they reach the uh, roots of the hair and then pour water over their head and then wash the rest of their body. This is considered to be the complete or perfect wudu as opposed to one just dipping their body in a pond or a river or a lake without doing these things, washing their hands, making wudu and so on. Uh, also, the wording of this hadith, the wording of Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَمَ إِذَا اِتْكَفَلَ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ This word, كَانَ إِذَا اِتْكَفَلَ indicates that this was the regular practice of the Prophet Not on one occasion, but whenever he used to take a ghusl from the state of Janaba, he used to do in this way. Uh, also the Shaykh mentions here from this hadith we understand the permissibility of the two married people seeing each other in the state of taking a ghusl, yani seeing each other in the uh, being naked and that is permissible for them to take a ghusl together from one container. Also from this hadith we understand that the washing of the parts of the body that are washed in wudu should be done first in the wash in the ghusl of janaba yani when one performs the ghusl of janaba you should wash the parts of the body that are washed in wudu first except the washing of the feet and the washing of the feet should be delayed until the person is finished washing the whole of the body as will be mentioned in the next hadith, the hadith of Maymuna radiallahu anha. And there will be some discussion on this point. Uh, the main thing is that the washing of the parts of wudu should precede the washing of the rest of the body. Uh, also, the words in this hadith, ثُمَّ تَوَضَّعَ وُضُوَهُ لِلصَّلَاةِ ثُمَّ غَسَلَ سَاعِرِ جَسَدَهُ أَوْ سَاعِرِ جَسَدِهِ 
Then he made wudu, like the wudu of salat, and in the end of the hadith she said, then he washed the rest of his body. This indicates that the washing of the parts of the body for wudu removes both states of uncleanliness. Al-Hadath Al-Asghar Wal-Hadath Al-Akbar The major state of impurity as well as the minor state of impurity is removed from the parts of the body that are washed in wudu during the performance of wudu. That means that it is not necessary to wash those parts that are washed in wudu again when you wash the rest of the body. When a person made wudu in the process of ghusl and they poured water over their head, then they start washing the rest of the body. It's not necessary to wash the hands and arms again because you already washed them in wudu. But the parts of the body which have not been washed, those are the things that have to be washed in the remainder of the ghusl, that which has not been washed in wudu. Because that which required the washing of the parts of the body for wudu, and that which requires the washing of the other parts of the body in ghusl, the thing that, that uh, made this necessary is the same thing. Yeah, and in one matter, the state of Janaba required the washing of those parts of wudu as well as the other parts uh, that are washed in the rest of the ghusl. I hope this point is clear. Yeah, and it is not necessary after one has performed wudu in the process of making a ghusl it's not necessary to wash the parts of the body that are washed in wudu a second time but it is sufficient that you have already washed them the first time in wudu and this means that it is from the sunnah of the Prophet that when one performs a ghusl it is from the sunnah that in that ghusl they should be included the performance of wudu. This is the most perfect ghusl and it is the sunnah of the Prophet Perhaps you may have noticed in this description of ghusl that something was left out. I don't know if anyone noticed, but inshallah now, washing of the feet. Well, he said he made wudu like the wudu for salat. And the wudu for salat includes washing of the feet. Washing of the private parts and istinja was not mentioned. No. Anything else? Uh, touching the hands, rubbing the hands on the wall or on the sand was not mentioned also in this hadith. It comes before wudu, but it wasn't mentioned in that report, in that description of Aisha radiallahu anha. So, uh, when, when we were, after one day, when the performance of wudu, we make that the first. So, wudu will not be... That's done. right, it should be done first, that's correct. No. In any case, uh, this also uh, reminds us of the importance in any issue of fiqh and in the matters of religion or of Islam in general it's not sufficient to take one ayah of Qur'an independently or take one hadith of the Prophet independently but it should be combined with the other evidences until all related proofs are brought together to get the complete picture because some proofs clarify other proofs and they complete other proofs what may have been left out one place is completed somewhere else 
and what may have been mentioned in general in one place is clarified in detail in another place. The second hadith, hadith number 30, the hadith of Maymuna bint al-Harith radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, anha qalat that she said, وَضَعَتُ لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَضُوءَ الْجَنَابَةِ فَأَكْفَأَ بِيَمِينِهِ عَلَى يَسَارِهِ مَرَّتَيْنِ أَوْ ثَلَاثًا Maymuna, the daughter of Al-Harif, may Allah be pleased with her, she was one of the wives of the Prophet she said that I put the wadu, the water of wudu, not the wudu, the wadu, the water which is used for abdu for admission, I gave it to the Prophet ﷺ, his water for the washing from Janabah. And he poured with his right hand water over his left hand two times or three times. After he washed his hands by pouring some water, pouring, not sticking the hands in the container, by, by pouring some water uh, over his hands two or three times, then he washed his private parts. Then he rubbed his hands on the earth or on the wall, rubbing them after making istinja to clean anything that remained from the touching of the private parts. Then he washed his mouth or rinsed his mouth and took water in his nose, blowing it out, an istinshaq. Then he washed his face and his forearms, his hands up to his elbows. This is her description in detail of the wudu after making istinja. Then he poured water over his head. Then he washed the remainder of his body. Then he moved from that spot and he washed his feet. He moved from the place where he was making ghusl. He was standing on sand in the desert. He moved from that spot and he washed his feet finally after completing his uh, then I brought to him a piece of cloth for the purpose of drying himself after making ghusl but he didn't want it and he began to shake off the water with his hands and wiping the water from his body with his own hands not using uh, that piece of cloth. As you can see, there are some points mentioned in this description of Maymuna, another of the wives of the Prophet وسلم, that were not mentioned by Aisha, and perhaps you may have also noticed that there are some things that didn't mention the rubbing. When she said he poured water over his head, she didn't mention that he rubbed uh, his scalp with his fingers before pouring water over his head, nor did she mention that he poured three times the water over his head, she just said that he poured water over his head. So you see there are some details given by one that are not mentioned by another and together they complete the complete description of the ghusl of the Prophet Also she mentioned that he washed his feet at the end of the performance of ghusl 
and Aisha radiallahu anha just said that he made wudu like the wudu of salat which includes the washing of the feet without the mentioning of washing the feet at the end uh, from this hadith the shaykh mentions a number of points the first of them he said that this hadith is similar to the previous hadith and it contains many benefits that we didn't get from the previous hadith the first of them uh, in the first hadith washing the hands was mentioned in general she said that the Prophet yadayhi, he washed his hands but in this hadith it is mentioned that he washed his hands two or three times so there is some further detail given here that the washing of the hands at the beginning of ghusl should be done two or three times secondly in this hadith after washing his hands it is mentioned that he washed the private parts then he rubbed his hands on the earth or on a wall two or three times and that also is not mentioned in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha uh, and this is to remove any harmful matter or unclean matter that may have become attached to the hands during the washing of the private parts also he mentions here that in the first hadith it is mentioned that he performed the wudu like the wudu of salat and from this we will understand that he also washed his feet before proceeding in the ghusl that he also washed his feet that's what you would understand if you say that he made wudu like the wudu for salat that includes washing the feet whereas in this hadith Maymuna radiallahu anha made it clear that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa washed his feet after completing his ghusl the shaykh says perhaps the best reconciliation between these two descriptions the washing we're making wudu completely like the wudu for salat and the description of Maymuna that he well, he made wudu except that in her description she describes that he washed his mouth he washed his nose, he washed his face he washed his hands and then he poured water over his head and she didn't mention the washing of the feet in her description of his wudu except that after he finished his ghusl completely he moved to another place and then he washed his feet he said that perhaps the best reconciliation or combining these two descriptions together is to say that the wudu in the hadith of Maymuna of Maymuna radiallahu anha uh, is yani that he made a complete wudu also but he washed his feet a second time after completing the washing of the whole body and moving to another place due to the fact that his feet would have become soiled again after completing his ghusl standing in the sand yeah I mean perhaps uh, it may mean you could understand that as Aisha radiallahu anha said he washed he made wudu like wudu for salat that he even washed his feet but then Maymuna uh, made it clear that he also washed his feet again after completing the ghusl and moving to another place uh, also in this hadith which is not mentioned by Aisha radiallahu anha Maymuna radiallahu anha said she brought to the Prophet sallallahu a towel a piece of cloth to dry the parts of his body after making the ghusl but he didn't accept it instead he dried himself just by using his hands removing the water by using his hands only and also in this hadith we understand that it is not obligatory to rub the parts of the body when making ghusl 
but it is sunnah to rub the parts of the body. Uh, since there is no mention of rubbing the parts of the body, but only pouring water over the rest of the body. And this uh, is the opinion of the majority of the scholars except Imam Malik who says that the parts of the body, now all of the parts of the body in Ghusl have to be rubbed, have to be rubbed in its washing. It's not simply enough that water reaches every part of the body, but it should be rubbed. This is the opinion of Imam Malik. Uh, also, It is not necessary to wash the parts which have already been washed in wudu uh, when washing the rest of the body in the ghusl of Janaba. And if those parts have been washed in wudu, it is sufficient that they are washed once and no need to repeat them. And this, is, uh, this was mentioned clearly by Al-Imam Al-Nawi that, it, that the first washing in wudu is sufficient for those parts uh, and no need to repeat. And finally, the Shaykh says, uh, that the washing of the body in the ghusl is to be done one time. It is sufficient to wash any part of the body that's washed in ghusl one time. Uh, although some of the scholars of the Hanbali Madhab uh, held the opinion that it should be done three times by qiyas or analogical reasoning or comparison between the washing of the parts of the body in wudu three times then they said that the parts that are washed in the rest of the ghusl should also be done and the shaykh even though he is of the Hanbali madhab and we have said continuously no matter what madhab we uh, may follow or study from if we find the evidence contradicting our madhab then we follow the evidence and not the opinion of the madhab so the Shaykh, even though the opinion of the Madhab is that it should be done three times, he said, لا قياس مع النص This is a very important principle, that it is not acceptable to use qiyas when there is a clear text in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah. When there is a clear text explaining what should be done, how it should be done, when it should be done, to what extent or what amount, then there is no room for qiyas, making comparison to something else. But the clear text has to be taken. And he said this is also the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, and the opinion of his Shaykh, the Shaykh of Abdullah, al-Bassam, uh, Abdurrahman, Shaykh Abdurrahman al-Sa'adi. And he also mentions that it is even an opinion in the Hanaf, in the Hanbali Madhab uh, that it should only be done once. And this is the correct opinion. Uh, that's what we wanted to say about the performance of ghusl. Um, since there is still a few minutes remaining before the Azan, maybe we can take one more hadith, because the next hadith is a short hadith. Let us just complete that hadith and then take any questions, if there are any questions. Uh, hadith number 31, the hadith of Abdullah bin Umar. رضي الله عنهما may Allah be pleased with him and his father أن عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه said قال يا رسول الله أيركض أحدنا وهو جنب يعني عبد الله the son of Umar said that his father Umar بن الخطاب رضي الله عنهما said O Messenger of Allah is it allowed or acceptable or permissible that someone may sleep while he is in a state of janaba when he is junub may he go to sleep in that condition 
The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Naam. Iza tawadda ahadukum falyarqud. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Yes, one may sleep while he is junub in a state of major sexual impurity. Iza tawadda. Yani if he made wudu, then he may sleep. Falyarqud. No problem, he may sleep. And in the narration, as I found it in Bukhari, he said, إِذَا تَوَضَّعَ أَحَدُكُمْ فَلْيَرْقَدْ وَهُوَ جُنُبٌ He may sleep while he is in that state of major sexual defilement if on the condition, if he has performed ablution. And this hadith is reported in Bukhari in volume 1, hadith number 287 and is reported by Imam Muslim in volume 1, page 177, hadith number 600. And a similar report came in the second, the next hadith after that, 601. The Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith uh, that when a person is in a state of impurity from Janaba, it was considered, such a condition was considered by the companions of the Prophet as a big thing. It was significant, it wasn't a light matter. For this reason, they were in doubt about the matter and they wanted to ask is it permissible for one to sleep? while they are in that condition. They doubted whether or not it was permissible. They thought it was a big thing. And it is. So Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he asked the Prophet but if one is in that condition of Janaba from the beginning of the night, is it permissible for him to sleep while he is in such a condition? And the Prophet gave permission for such on the condition that they lighten that major or reduce the major state of defilement by performing the legal, legislated ablution or wudu. In that case, there is no harm for one to sleep, even though they remain in the state of Janaba, because wudu doesn't take away the state of Janaba, but it reduces that major state of Janaba, and in that case it's permissible to sleep in that condition and perform the ghusl later. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions four points. The first of them, and please pay attention to this, it's very important. Four points. All of them are related to one to the same matter. The permissibility of the person who is junub sleeping before making a ghusl. Yani the person who is in a major state of impurity, sexual defilement, they may sleep before making ghusl if they make wudu. Yani it is permissible to sleep as long as you make wudu even though you are in a state of junub or janaba. Secondly, that the most complete or perfect uh, action is that a person should not sleep while they are junub in the state of major sexual defilement until and unless they take a ghusl. This is the best and most perfect thing to do. Because sufficing to make ablution or wudu is a permission, a permission, but it is not necessarily uh, the complete fulfillment of what has to be done. Nonetheless, the person will later have to make a complete ghusl. So the best thing and most perfect thing is that a person who is junub should not sleep until they make a ghusl. Even though it's permissible, if they make a wudu, then they may sleep and make the ghusl later. Number three, it is legislated in Islam that a person should make wudu before sleeping if they are in the state of major sexual defilement. It is legislated, they must make wudu if they didn't make a ghusl. 
Yani whoever didn't make a ghusl then they must make wudu before sleeping. And number four, that it is makru or detestable, undesirable, uh, something distasteful for a person to sleep in the state of major sexual defilement if they didn't make the ghusl nor the wudu. This is makru. It is makru. So here there are four points. Uh, that it, it is better that a person should make a ghusl if they are in that state before sleeping. But it is permissible to sleep if they at least make a wudu. And if they didn't make ghusl, it's permissible to sleep, but it is a must that they must make wudu. Yani it is a necessity. Uh, or it is at least mustahab. Because whoever didn't make wudu and they also didn't make wudu, then they have committed something that is makru, distasteful or disgusting or hated by Allah and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa This is the end of what we wanted to say today. Inshallah, if there are any comments or any questions or corrections, there's two or three minutes remaining for the event. Also, can someone open that door just now so we can hear the event? Because usually we are not hearing the event. Perhaps with the door open we may hear it. No, go ahead, brother. Uh, for the uh, dead person, they uh, perform the wudu for him. How is the... Uh, the dead person? Yeah. Before the uh, banking him, they perform wudu for him. Hmm. Now, okay. The washing for the janazah. Janazah, It is legislated in the sunnah that the person who is washed for janazah should be washed in the way that a living person takes a ghusl from Janaba. And if a person who is in major sexual defilement, the ghusl that you have to take, complete ghusl, is the ghusl that should be performed on the dead person before their body is shrouded for burying. So performance of wudu. No, performance of wudu is part of the ghusl. Now, any other question? No. How can you perform your ghusl when you take a shower? No. There's the adhan. I know that's not the adhan in our masjid. <laughs> Let's just take a minute and listen to the adhan, inshallah, and then we'll deal with this question. came from the sisters, uh, but first um, uh, there's a question from the brothers uh, that we heard before the other uh, now. Go ahead, brother. How do you take a shower for uh, you take a shower for... Ah, okay. Okay, at the same time, there's no uh, distinction. If a person wants to take a shower, 
يعني the intention they just want to uh, clean their body uh, and they want to make a ghusl for example a necessary ghusl from the state of Janaba or such it can be done at the same time there's no uh, need to have different intention or separate performance but the person should perform this ghusl as it has been described by Aisha radiallahu anha and Maymuna radiallahu anha they should perform the ghusl in this way the ghusl meaning that the person gets in the place where they take their shower gets under the shower and uh, wash their hands two or three times wash the private parts rub the hand on the wall or the floor or any part to make sure to try to remove or as some of the scholars said it's permissible to remove that unclean matter by using soap or any other kind of cleanser you may wash your hands with that and that time they used to rub it on the sand and the sand is a cleanser better than the soap that we are using but we don't have sand in our places now so you may use soap then after that you may make wudu like the wudu of salat rinsing the mouth, nose, face, arms, head, everything then after that wudu uh, the person should rub their wet hands in the, in the hair reaching the scalp and when you feel relatively certain that you have reached the scalp moisten the scalp then you may pour water or allow the water to run over your head three times to follow the sunnah then after that you may wash the remaining parts of the body that have not been washed yet up until that point including the front, the chest, the stomach, the back, legs and so on this will be the complete and most perfect ghusl uh, and that is sufficient uh, for a person one of the questions uh, came related to this from the sisters is the performance of wudu of janaba yani if it is done separately from the wudu or, or of prayer the wudu of janaba and the wudu of prayer no there is no difference between them the person who made wudu as a part of their ghusl for janaba it is sufficient they are in a state of purity in a state of sahara and they may perform prayer and the end of the question says can we go straight away after performing the formal wudu of janaba yeah, you may go straight away after performing the complete ghusl that includes wudu you may go and perform prayer without any delay do you have to dress? oh yes you have to put your clothing on first assalamu alaikum is there a proof that rubbing the body is sunnah during ghusl uh, I don't know that there is a proof that rubbing the body is sunnah during ghusl I don't know of it but if we may look in the books of the Maliki Fiqh we may find uh, that Imam Malik must have some proof he is not just using his imagination uh, but the opinion of the majority of scholars is that it's not necessary and some of the scholars said that if a person dips their body in a river or lake or stream completely then that with the intention of making ghusl that's sufficient uh, for the removal of the major uh, state of impurity without rubbing even if they didn't rub and even if they didn't single out the parts of the body that are washed in wudu this is uh, mentioned by Imam al-Baghawi in Sharq al-Sunnah uh, in the book of Tahara I wanted to read it today but there's no time to read it so in any case the opinion of Imam Malik is the minority opinion and we are not saying it's Sunnah but it's his opinion the opinion of one of the Madahib that is considered to be uh, the, one of the major scholars and we respect that opinion even though the majority opinion uh, differs with it and we follow that which is closer to the proof and the hadith doesn't seem to bring us any proof that you have to rub in the descriptions of the ghusl of the Prophet and this is why the majority of the scholars said that it is not a necessity 
the second question, لا قياس مع complete the statement. The statement, the rule that we mentioned in this discussion, لا قياس مع النص. النص. ألف لام نون صاد. نص. نص means the text. The proof that came from the text of Quran or Sunnah. If there is a proof from Quran or Sunnah, a nafs, then there is no right for anyone to use qiyas, comparison or analogy. Because the text is there from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now the last question, is it lawful or allowed to use the wudu or water of wudu, the remaining used amount of water for making wudu to a person who has not yet done his wudu, as was the Prophet sallallahu wife done to her husband, when in fact that water is already impure, please explain again this hadith. Now, it is permissible to use the wadu, the water that someone has used for wudu, and that water is not impure. No, it is not impure. It has not already become impure. The remaining water is pure. If nothing has entered it, as we discussed some lectures ago, any water that its taste or its color or its smell has not been changed by some unclean matter, and that water is considered pure. Even if Najd entered it, but it didn't change its color or its taste or its smell, it remains pure and you may use it. So water that has been used, yeah, I mean someone made wudu and there's water remaining in the container, you may use it. You may use it. Anyway, this uh, question we might discuss again at another time in more detail. I think there may come a hadith that discuss the using of uh, water after someone has used it for purification. Then we will discuss it further at that time. But yes, it is permissible to use that water that remains after someone made wudu. We may take the last question. I think there's uh, some people waiting to come in, some ladies. If there is no water available, then you may make tayammum for the removal of minor impurity or major impurity. Yeah, and whoever is in a state of minor impurity, meaning wudu, you may make tayammum, dry ablution, by tapping uh, your hands on the earth and wiping your face and your hands. Whoever is in the state of major impurity and there is no water available, or it would cause harm to their health or other such reasons as we mentioned, or shortage of water, they only have enough water just for drinking, then in that case they may also make tayammum, dry ablution, to remove the state of major sexual impurity. Now, how do we do that? The tayammum we discussed, I think. The tayam, not in ghusl, no. If you are making ghusl, that means there is water available. You can only make tayammum if there is no water available. Huh? If there is no water available, then you may make tayammum. Even for major impurity. If there is no water available, you may make the same tayammum. Just tapping your hand on the earth one time. You may blow off the dust that remains, then you may wipe your face completely one time. And wipe your hand, right hand with left and left hand with right up to the wrist, one time, finished. With the intention of removing the major state of impurity or minor state of impurity. This is the corrected tayammum. The tayammum is to put the person in the spiritual state of purity for the performance of ibadah. Even if some impurity remains on their body, because there is no water available, it is sufficient, you may read Qur'an, you may perform salat or whatever else is necessary uh, for the state of purification. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashabu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.